is from Mark chapter 1, 29 to 39. Jesus heals many. As soon as they had left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her and took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went on to a solitary place, where he prayed. <coughs> Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Amazing. Thank you, Anna. Good morning. It's lovely to be with you this morning. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and say one thing that you're thankful to God for this morning. Why don't you just do that? Turn to the person next to you. What are you thankful to God for? Okay, well, God is good, isn't he? God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Amen. And um, one of the things that we want to do when we come into church is to build our faith, to encourage each other, and to remind ourselves that all the time, God is good, and God is good all the time. Um, And so that's why we share stories of faith. That's why we come and worship, we lift up our hearts and minds to God. And I just sense that this morning, you know, in January, life can feel a bit of a battle, can't it? And actually, the Bible says that the way we fight that battle is through faith. And God wants to raise our faith this morning. I think he wants to impart the gift of faith. So why don't we just pray, and then I'm going to open up that passage for us. Father, just thank you for your presence. Thank you for your goodness. And I pray now that you would help us to hear your word for each one of us this morning, for your glory. Would you build our faith and encourage us? Amen. Amen. Well, this week, uh, I was up in W.H. Smith in Forest Hill as our youngest was unwell, as you've just heard about. Um, And so we went on an errand, and I walked into W.H. Smith, and I saw the display of books And I was reminded how January is really self-help season, isn't it? Self-improvement season. Uh, So some of the titles of the books that I saw included Good Vibes, Good Life. Uh, The Greatest Self-Help Book is the one written by you. Interesting. Uh, A book called Manifest. 
um, and another book called Atomic Habits, an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones. And maybe you have seen on your, I don't know, your social media uh, posts or as you've been shopping around, you've noticed that January is the time when uh, self-improvement is the name of the game. And I think it's a human thing for all of us to, to want to improve, to want to be the best version of ourselves, living our best life, uh, if I can put it like that. All of us want to live life to the full, to enjoy life, and also for our lives to be fruitful, to count for something, whether we have faith or not. And so as followers of Jesus, what does that look like? What does it mean for us as followers of Jesus to live the good life? What are we actually aiming for in life? It's a good question to ask. And we believe that as followers of Jesus, he has painted a picture. We've got a picture painted for us of what the good life looks like. And that is the life of Jesus himself. Uh, And so as followers of Jesus, the meaning of our lives can be portrayed in four stages, if you like. To be with Jesus to become like Jesus, to do the things that Jesus did, and to help others do the same. Does that make sense? So we're disciples of Jesus, and therefore what we're aiming for is to become like Jesus. And as we become like Jesus in our character, our nature, displaying the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, those sort of things, but also doing the things that Jesus did in bringing healing and hope and love to the world, we actually become a true version of ourselves. Not in a kind of boring, homogenous sense, but we actually become more, I become more Ben the more I become like Jesus. Does that make sense? And that is what we are aiming for. That's what it means to be disciples of Jesus. And we're in a series at the moment called Start With Me. And we're looking at some of the foundations of Jesus' life that enabled him to do the things that he was able to do, and to live this life to the full that he was able to live. We believe that Jesus lived the greatest life that was ever lived, the life that was uh, most full of joy, a life most fully lived. He is what we are aiming for. So we're looking at some of the foundations under Jesus' life so that we can take those foundations for ourselves and we can become who we are truly called to be in God, so that we can experience joy and fullness of life, but also fruitfulness. And so last week, we looked at kind of the first foundation we see in Mark's gospel of Jesus' life, and that was receiving the Father's love. We looked at the baptism of Jesus and how before Jesus had done any ministry, he knew he was beloved. He knew he was a child of God. His identity and worth was secure. And how that was um, essential to what Jesus did. And when we experience the reality of the Father's love in our hearts and in our minds, how that changes everything for us. We no longer have to prove ourselves in any way. We don't uh, live for God's love. We live from the well of, uh, from God's love. Do you see what I mean? We don't earn God's love in any way. We receive it. We are loved unconditionally. And as we receive that love, that enormous grace, that generosity in our lives, we then have capacity to share that out with others. We only love because he first loved us. 
as John says. So receiving the Father's love is the first foundation in Jesus' life that enabled him to live this radical life of love for others, to give himself away the way that he did. And then today, we're looking at the second foundation of Jesus' life, which is his life of prayer, and how he advanced through regular times of retreat, how as he went and took time out to be with his father, that actually enabled him to step forward and move forward in the things of the kingdom, the purpose for which he had come. So um, we're looking at Mark 1, 29 to 39, if you want to follow along. Um, and really, the passage that we have just read is like a day in the life of Jesus, very on in his ministry. So I don't know what your typical working day looks like, but here we get a glimpse to Jesus's, a day in the life of Jesus. And it's a pretty full day, okay? So verse 29, Mark writes this, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went, with G- uh, G- they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. So we're told they've just been at the synagogue that day. What were they doing at the synagogue? Well, a little bit before, tells us, unsurprisingly. Um, and in the synagogue, we see that Jesus was teaching with authority about the kingdom of God and that he healed someone who was demon-possessed. So that's like, you know, I feel like a pretty good day's work in and of itself. But what happens next? Then we're told, verse 29, that he goes and heals many. So they go to um, Simon and Andrew's house. And in Simon and Andrew's house, they were brothers, disciples of Jesus. Simon's mother-in-law was there. And I love this little story. I don't know if you caught it. But Simon's mother-in-law has a fever. Okay, And so Jesus comes in. He heals Simon's mother-in-law. And then what's the first thing that she does? Did anyone notice that? Verse 31. So Jesus went to her, took her by the hand, helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. So she makes them a meal. That's the first thing that she does as soon as she's healed. That's such a mum thing to do, I think. So in the afternoon, uh, Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law. And then we get verse 32. So that's the evening. We've had morning, we've had afternoon, and then this is what happens in the evening, the same day. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many demons. So they're at Simon and Andrew's house. The whole crowd is at their door. Imagine your town or your area you live. Forest Hill, Sydenham, Beckenham, wherever it is, Crystal Palace, the whole of Crystal Palace is gathered at your door, and Jesus spends the evening bringing healing to them and and casting out demons, bringing freedom, bringing the kingdom of God, essentially. So it's a full day. And then, verse 35, we get this beautiful little verse, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and he went to a solitary place where he prayed. So Jesus was praying, and then what happens? The disciples come and find him and basically say, what are you doing? We've only just begun. We've got lots of other villages to get to. We've got to carry on in our kingdom ministry. What are you doing? We need to keep moving. And how does Jesus respond? Jesus responds, let us go somewhere else to a nearby village so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. 
And so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. And so when you look at the life of Jesus, you see, actually, I think Jesus was someone who was incredibly driven in a healthy way. He lived a busy life, and busyness isn't always a bad thing. Okay? It's okay to be busy. He had this passion to bring about God's kingdom. That was the purpose of his life. Mark 1.15, the time has come. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the good news. The whole purpose of his life was to bring about this new order of the kingdom of God. So he was a driven person, and yet he was intentional about retreat, about carving out time to be on his own with God. He had a developed secret life with the Father. And I want to suggest that what he was able to do in the miraculous, in the power and authority that he displayed was not because he was God, because not that I don't believe, I believe he was God 100%, but that he actually gave up his divine power in his incarnation, and that he did what he did because he was filled with the Spirit, and he walked in intimacy with the Father as an example for us so that we can do the same. Does that make sense? So many people say Jesus did the miracles he did because he was God. I think he was God, but he did the miracles he did because he was filled with the Spirit without limits. He walked with power and authority, of course, but he also had this intimacy with the Father, and he did what he saw the Father doing. And we can do the same. That's the purpose. That's why he had disciples. Okay. And we actually we see this in the life of the first disciples. Because the first disciples um, were not the best and the brightest, as we've said before here at Holy Trinity. They, as we look at the life of the first disciples, uh, someone once described them as the thickos. Okay? They were not the best. And that should encourage us because... What we see the disciples go on to do is imitate exactly what Jesus does in the Gospels in the book of Acts. So that's an encouragement for us. And I believe it's because they follow those foundations that were in Jesus' life. And one of those foundations was the priority of prayer. And so I want to encourage us this morning that if prayer was central to Jesus' life, then it would be a good thing if it was central to our lives. If we want to be people who bring about the kingdom and who make a difference where we are in our workplaces, our neighborhoods, and here in Sydenham and Forest Hill. And to be clear, when I talk about prayer, I'm really talking about spending time with God. So being still before God in solitude, as Jesus went off in solitude, inviting his presence, listening to God's voice through scripture, that's how we hear God's voice mainly today, and then bringing to God what is on our hearts. And just with the time that I have left, I want to uh, look at three kind of outcomes that come from our personal times of prayer, and then briefly how we can practically develop that. So the first thing I think that comes from prayer is perspective. Perspective. When we pause to be still in God's presence, and we listen to the voice of the Father, we allow his guidance to come on the things that might be causing us anxiety, where we feel confused or that have become a for us. If I give you an example, uh, a number of years ago, I was looking for my first job at a theological college. Church is called a curacy. Chris, shall I carry on with this? 
I'll try the other one. One, two, is that better? We'll go with that one. So a number of years ago, I was looking for my first job out of college. It was a curacy. Um, I was in my mid-twenties. Uh, Lydia and I were getting married that year. And the way it works is you've basically got your last year of college to find a job. Uh, and this year was moving on. I'd already looked at another, uh, a number of options which hadn't worked out. And um, in about November time, we got to look at a job in the Midlands. And so... Lydia and I went um, up to this church, and we met lots of people. We heard all about it, and on paper, everything looked great. But as I came back, just something didn't feel quite right, and I really didn't know what to do. Um, a lot of my friends had already got their jobs secured. We were getting married in three weeks, and it would be nice to know where we were going to be. Um, and I was just umming and ahhing, not sure what to do. And I remember taking a walk and praying on a park bench and just sensing God say, as I just paused and prayed, I just heard this word, wait. I just heard this word, wait. And a sense that God was saying, if you wait, you can trust me. And then as I read my Bible uh, in the mornings, verses kept coming up about waiting and trusting on God. Wait quietly before the Lord. You can trust him. Um, again and again in the Psalms, it says that. And these verses kept popping up in a kind of, um, not just a, like it was a coincidence. It was obvious that God was saying to wait. And so we politely said that we didn't feel it was quite right to go there. And we waited. We waited for a few months. And then, guess what? A couple of months later, something else came up, which was a great fit. And um, where we were just prior to coming to Sydenham, where we were in Ealing, was a really formative and nourishing time for us. And it was clear that God's hand was on it. Now, God is so good that even when we kind of make decisions where we perhaps fail to seek him, he is so good that he takes those decisions and he makes something good out of it. He's like the master composer. And he takes sometimes the, what feels like the cacophony of our lives and he makes a masterpiece out of it in his grace. But it can help if we pause to make time to listen for the voice of God. To get his perspective as we come to pray. And it might not simply be even guidance that we're looking for, but it might be that we feel discouraged or we feel worried, we feel overwhelmed with a problem in our lives. And as we pause and we make time for God's presence, what happens is that God's goodness and grace becomes bigger than the thing that we're carrying, the thing that burdens us. It happens here on a Sunday. Maybe we come into church and we're really worried about our to-do list on a Monday or financial pressure or a health difficulty that we're carrying or a friend's carrying. But as we come into God's presence, our perspective changes because we are lifting up our hearts and minds to God and we realize that God is good and that our problems are held in his hands. And so the first thing that we're given as we pray is perspective. The second thing is power. 
Now, we used to have um, neighbors who loved cleaning their car. I wonder if you've got a neighbor a little bit like that. But um, it felt like every week they were cleaning their car, and you wonder between one week and the next if the car had any time to get dirty or, or not. But um, this one particular neighbor, it probably did have a chance to get dirty because he was an Uber driver, and we became good friends. And um, uh, I remember one morning, and uh, he knocked on the door, and he said, oh, my car is not working. And I remember looking at it. It was clean. It was pristine. Uh, everything was shiny. It looked great from the outside. But what had happened is the battery had died. And so I brought the, our car around. We put the crocodile clips on it. We revved the engine, and we brought the car back to life. And fortunately, he was able to then go off to work uh, as a taxi driver. And I was just reminded how actually... It's easy for something to look great on the outside when on the inside, that's what really counts. That's what gets the thing moving. And I think prayer is like the unseen engine of power when it comes to following Jesus. On the outside, we can do lots of great things to, to get things moving, if you like. We can share faith with our friends, for example. We could help with lots of good ministries. But if we don't have that engine of prayer underneath, then we're not going to go anywhere. Prayer brings power. The more time we spend in God's presence as we pray, the more faith is built in us. Faith for God to move. And faith is the magic when it comes to the kingdom of God. Again and again, Jesus says, where is your faith? Faith is the thing that he wants to draw out of us. And the more time we spend in God's presence, the more power that we carry. So there's a, a little story a few chapters later in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 9, where a dad comes to Jesus whose son uh, has been having these fits, um, and they think he's demon-possessed. We might say the epileptic fits these days. Uh, who knows exactly what it was, but the disciples were trying to cast out this demon, and they couldn't. And so the um, dad comes to Jesus and says, look, your disciples have been trying to heal my son. They can't do it. Um, so let's stop messing around. Can you help my son? And what happens? Jesus comes along and he heals the son. He casts out the demon. There's crowds around. Eventually the crowds go. And the disciples ask Jesus, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus doesn't say, because you're not the Messiah, stupid. Which, with some of the theology that we've been brought up with, maybe we think he would say something like that. He doesn't say that. He says, this kind can only come out through prayer and fasting. And so you think, well, what were the disciples doing? It's, I think, actually, the disciples were praying for the, the devil to be cast out. I think they were praying for healing. I think what Jesus is saying is that when you have times of prayer and fasting, it was actually the prayer and fasting of Jesus that brought about that well of God's presence that allowed him to walk in the flow of God's spirit that enabled him to carry the power that he did so that when he prayed for healing, when he cast out demons, that he had power. Does that make sense? So he's saying to the disciples, it's prayer. It's through prayer and fast, fasting, a well of power is brought up within you. That's what I think Jesus is trying to say. And I've found 
this kind of correlation play out in my life. The more time I spend with God, the more fruitful I am. So when you wake up in the morning and you kind of have two options, you've got a long to-do list, you can either dive into the to-do list straight away or I can carve out time to pray. And what I find is that when I carve out time to pray, the more I pray, the more God does, does stuff, uh, often despite me. Whether I, whether I dive into that to-do list or not, stories seem to pop up. It often does help if we work in partnership with one another. But the more I pray, the more I see God's power, the more I, I see God do stuff. And yet, so often, my tendency is to want to do it on my own, to want to carry it on my own, and just to get things done. Does that make sense? So uh, if we've, we've got a busy schedule, we often just want to run into that, rather than carving out time to pray. But actually, it's where, when we pray, that's where the power is. And when we look through moves of God's power throughout history, we see that prayer was always central to that. Just a few select examples. Uh, Francis of Assisi, uh, way back in the 13th century, was well known for the impact of his preaching. And yet he was said to have spent 70% of his time in prayer and just 25% in his ministry. Uh, In the 19th century, George Miller in Bristol Uh, built hundreds of schools and orphanages, cared for tens of thousands of orphans, uh, was known for doing lots of wonderful kingdom activity in the Bristol area and was known for relying on the power of prayer. He never once made an appeal for money, and yet miraculously God provided for what he was doing. Prayer was central to that ministry. If you want an example from a missionary, there's a guy called James O. Fraser, in the 20th century, went to West China, and he worked in an area steeped in witchcraft. He fasted and prayed for many years, and he eventually saw an outpouring of the Holy Spirit across village after village, and thousands of people came to faith en masse. And he said this, I used to think prayer should have first place and ministry second, but I now feel that prayer should have first, second, and third place and ministry Such was the priority of prayer. If you look at the revivals, a history of revivals, you'll always see that just before a revival was an intense and um, focused time of prayer. Uh, If you look at the Berlin Wall and the fall of the Berlin Wall, many historians will um, note the impact of prayer and the contribution that had to the fall of the Berlin Wall. They had these marches where hundreds of thousands of people would march around the city, um, and then that brought about, helped to bring about the fall of the Berlin Wall. When we pray, it releases God's power, whether that's in a corporate sense or whether that's in our own lives where we long to see change and bring renewal. And then the third outcome of prayer is peace. Peace. Three things that we commonly feel as we come into God's presence is love, joy, and peace. We see that in Galatians 6, the fruits of the Spirit. And we see that in the life of Jesus. And you don't need me to tell you that we live in a world that has never been so anxious. Uh, there are a number of books displayed in our bookshops or courses online or apps or holidays, uh, advertising, uh, stress-free Come and unwind, spas. There's uh, a massive market um, to help relieve anxiety, and it all points to a culture 
where stress has become the norm. And what I, one of the greatest gifts I think that we can bring to the world as Christians is to be a non-anxious presence, to carry the peace and joy of Jesus as we know the spacious place of his love within us. And that can only come through regular times with the Father as Jesus had. Just as Jesus was asleep in a storm, so our hearts and minds can be quiet even through the storms that we might be going through at the, mo- at the moment. A storm of a cost of living crisis, a storm of a health challenge, a storm of relational difficulties at work or whatever it might be for you. Or as we walk into storms, as we seek to be peacemakers, we're able to do that as we carry the presence of Jesus. Perspective, power, and peace, three things that come as we carve out time to pray. So just as I come into land, how can we do this? Well, essentially, we need to make it part of our routine. Uh, So Rick Warren, uh, the American pastor, is known for saying we need to abandon annually withdraw weekly and divert daily. And so I just want to talk um, briefly on diverting daily, spending daily time with prayer. How do we actually do that? Uh, Well, we've got these lovely resources at the back called Bread. Um, And essentially, we need a time, a place, and a plan. And I'm just going to read through this acronym of bread that we've got here. So be still is the B, read is the R, encounter is the E, apply is the A, and then devote is the D. So be still. We need to find a place where we can encounter God. So I don't know what that's likely to be for you. If you're working in the office or you've got a commute, it might be a space on your commute. If you're working from home, is there a chair that you can sit in? But find a place that you know you can go and is as solitary as you can be. Obviously, if you're on a crowded tube, that's going to be difficult. Maybe you can stick some headphones in. Um, I don't know. But ask God to fill that space and just be still for a minute. And it's just an opportunity to invite God's Holy Spirit to come and guide your time. And then uh, we read a passage from the Bible. And in this, in this plan, we've got a psalm and a passage from the Gospels to read uh, every day. And we just read it through just once. Um, and then as you've digested that, you've reflected on what God might be saying to you through that, look for one verse that stands out. That really speaks to what you're going through for that day. So just to give an example, um, the beginning of last week, I was feeling very overwhelmed about the number of things on my to-do list, but also the future. And I felt really encouraged with seeing God at work in the present, but I was worried about the future. And um, as I was reading through the Bible passage for that day, I was reading through 1 Corinthians, um, and there was a... In 1 Corinthians, there's a verse um, which says something like, the one who has called you is faithful and he will do it. And that verse really spoke to me and just encouraged me that if God is at work now, he's not going to abandon me, but he's going to be 
faithful. He's going to continue to do what he's doing into the future so I can trust him. So then that verse becomes the thing that I carry around that day. And so whenever I start to feel overwhelmed, I remember that verse. Does that make sense? So as you read through a passage of scripture, this wasn't actually from bread. I used something called the lectionary. Um, But as you read through your plan, look out for a verse that particularly speaks to you. And then just allow that verse to feed you throughout the day. Encounter, taking your chosen verse, meditate on it. How does it make you feel? What do you think God is trying to reveal to you through this verse? Allow him to speak to you. And you might even want to write a little reflection in your journal on that. And then A, apply. Now turn your focus outward. Think about how you might apply this in your day. And you might want to write that down. Writing something down often helps it become more real for us. And then D, devote. So as we finish your time in prayer, you've asked for God's Holy Spirit to come. You've read through a passage. You felt God speak to you. You can devote your day to God. Um, And it says devote. Finally, close by writing a simple prayer of devotion to God and ask that God will fill you afresh and you commit your day to him. And just imagine what would happen uh, as we do this. And I just want to read, as I come into land, I just want to read from uh, just the beginning of this bread resource and then we're going to have a chance to invite God's presence here uh, ourselves. Just imagine if we did this as a church, feasting on the story of Jesus. Not only would it allow us to operate out of a place of joy and rest each day, but it would also form us into his likeness. That is our aim in life to become like Jesus, enabling us to become agents of kingdom renewal in the places we live, work, and spend our time. We would become, as the psalmists say, trees planted by streams of living water, sustained by the presence of God, proving shade to a weary city and producing fruit that speaks of a better story. In other words, as we carve out time to be with the Father, we live that life that we long to live and we become our best selves. Amen. Shall we stand? love to make time for God's spirit, God's presence to fill us. We want to do that on our own each day, but we want to do that corporately together. And we know that often God comes in a special way as we meet together as a church. And we pray, come Holy Spirit. So I just invite you to... um, just allow this time to press into God, not just to... Lean back and maybe think about what's for lunch or what's next. But just to be open to God's presence as we wait on him. So I invite you just to close your eyes and hold out your hand. Just as a posture of saying my heart is open.